we lived very simply and and yet i still evolved into this very creative person i did not set out to be an artist it came and tapped me on the shoulder and it said hey you're an artist Hello and welcome, everybody. My name is Will Chernoff, and you're listening to the Rhythm Changes podcast, a home for creative, improvising, local music people. This show is an ongoing, open-ended conversation series with folks who make their community fun and prosperous. If you're joining us for the first time, don't forget to follow this feed wherever you get your podcasts and visit us at our website, rhythmchanges.ca. Our guest today is an author, designer, and artist. She won a National Indie Excellence Award for her first book, Inspire, which is part of the Front Matter Press publishing program with distribution by Fitzhenry and Whiteside. You can find her most active on Instagram at the art part of my heart. In her day career, she has run an interior design firm for over 30 years. And she is my mother, and I'm happy to be in her home in New West, bringing to you on the Rhythm Changes podcast, Mary Chernoff. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Will. I would love for you to paint a picture for those who are not so lucky that they get to see this room that we're in right now. <laughs> what is this room like, this upstairs den of yours that we're recording in? Well, it used to be your bedroom. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe 10, um, 15 years ago. That's right. <laughs> and now it's my dressing room. And... You came up here a few years ago and you said, wow, the sound is really good in here yeah. because there's uh, coat racks everywhere because I collect coats. So there's about, there's a wall probably with about 50 coats on it and some evening wear and uh, all kinds of hats, purses, scarves. So the whole, all the surfaces of the room are covered in textiles about two feet deep, because <laughs> yeah. they're all hanging. So yeah, you remarked at the sound quality in here, which I never would have clued into. But what you don't have up here, and you have them downstairs instead, is books. And I mean, you've published a book, and you've yeah. loved reading books for as long as I can remember. I'm pretty sure you read pretty much every day. I do. When did you start doing that? Well, that's interesting. I can't remember when I started. Yeah. I know I do. I know I do it a lot now and I do more and more and more and more and more. I think I do more now that my son has grown up because yeah. you have more time. <laughs> I have more time. <laughs> um, okay. When did I start to love books? SFU 1978. Oh, way back. Okay. English 101. Okay. 18 years old and read Somerset Moms of Human Bondage. It was a big, thick heartbreaking and aching tale. So I think that just started my love affair with wonderful novels. And uh, I like to take holidays and lie on the beach. So I always took books along for that. And uh, yeah, just have always read fiction. So that's, yeah, 40 years, more than 40 years ago. And it just seems to be um, snowballing nonfiction as well. And every type and form of literature, making my way through all the classics and in between reading just really fluffy, uh, fluffy, entertaining things, which is really the preferred book this last year. Yeah. But like a lot of people who love to read to that high of a frequency are really, really introverted. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that you're not, because I know you have some introverted characteristics, kind of like I am. I think we both love talking to people, mm -hmm. but we also like to have our own time, right? 
Yeah, I feel like I'm this interesting combination of half introverted person who loves to be uh, happy to be home alone and and I enjoy my own company. Yeah. Um, but then the other half is uh, party girl, entertainer extraordinaire, you know, throwing dinner parties and going out um, and enjoying live live performances, music, stage. Yeah. Yeah. I asked Will Clements on this show if he thought he was an introvert or an extrovert. And yeah. he also said he was right down the middle and so did I. So yeah. we're all kind of in that yeah. bucket. You I, know I'm, <laughs> I'm half and half. Yeah. But you've supported a fair number of arts organizations by going out and seeing stuff over the years, quite a bit, especially in the theater world, mm-hmm. right? And your whole mm-hmm. thing on your website, marychurnoff.com, which is where people can buy your book and read your blog and learn all about your creative life. Like mm-hmm. you make an effort to champion each of the arts that you like right Mm -hmm. there's a whole bunch of them and you have blog posts and stories about how you've interacted with each of them right and i know theater and performing is a big one and the other ones are like home and domestic Mm -hmm. culinary and food for sure right yes what else i realized and i think this is what was the very beginnings of the book i realized i loved all the arts yeah literary culinary visual and performing and in performing both music and theater. So I just realized I loved them all. So the Arts Club Theater, you know, and all the local community theaters, the Vagabond Players here in New West, and um, all kinds of fabulous music and going to a lot of your musical events at um, a lot of the cafes and restaurants around town where you've played over time. So just anybody and buying anybody's book that's ever written a book and um, anybody that creates something like that. I'm just so happy to support them and give them give them that attention and give them a shout out. And we can't share that enough. Yeah. And you've also had a long history of enjoying like Bard on the Beach, right? As another example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And um, that's uh, my sister and I. That's our sort of birthday celebration every year is is we enjoy that together and make a have a fun evening with it. So that's um that's something that that we also really enjoy. Absolutely. Yeah. You're pretty good at throwing a party. I think most people who know you would say that that you're good at making that happen. <laughs> I can even say that with confidence. I am. I am very good at that. It's one of my superpowers. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. One of your many superpowers is Knowing how to throw a party and having an intuitive sense of what to do kind of leading up to it and probably while you're there too to make that happen. And I mean, there have been lots of great examples of that in this house, in your Mm -hmm. home here. But one of the ones that I also remember, and we'll talk about how you brought the book Inspire up to this point, but it was the launch party Mm -hmm. of your book, which you were the maestro of mm-hmm. just completely and that you rented a space and you brought in 100, 150 people mm-hmm. and you decked it out and people had a really good time. What do you remember about the launch party for your book? Oh, that was great. Well, I wanted to bring some of the pages to life. So we, um, of course, you and Gabrielle Dubreuil performed. We had people reading pages from the book. Um, one of my best friends, Yvonne, spoke, and my friend Christopher Gaze, Mr. Bard on the Beach, um, so eloquently read a, a passage of his choosing. And um, also we cooked a lot of, I baked a lot of the things that were in the book, some of the favorite recipes. So we 
created those so guests could savor those. We did a timeline of the process of the book, and I think we're going to talk. You hinted that we're going to talk about that a little bit more. So we had all these different stations. It was at the Fraser River Discovery Center. It was the coolest location. And, um, yeah, it was to bring to life all the different facets of the book that are all of the arts. So it was a very good and very fun party. Yeah, and I'm going to somebody's CD release concert tonight, and I think that when you just nail one of those celebrations for something new that comes out, it just makes it all the more memorable, right? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, that really stands out. It's like, wow, that Mm -hmm. happened. Mm -hmm. So that was in the year 2017. Mm -hmm. When did you actually start writing and putting together the first pieces of the book? I think it was about four years before that, um, the first the first three years were were very low key and slow paced. As I sort of figured out what I was going to do, how I was going to do it, what form it was going to take, who was going to help me, and then the, and then the last year was quite action packed and quite quite um, dense in terms of of the workload. So yeah, yeah, and it also draws on many years before that. And you know, sometimes right. people have have very flippantly looked at a piece of artwork and said, well, how long did it take you to do that? Huh. And and the artist's answer, the correct artist's answer is all my life. Whole life, yeah. <laughs> right. So, I mean, we drew on experiences that um, we had, particularly for the parenting and family sort of chapters, on stuff I did with you when you were, you know, three, four, five years old. It's a gathering of stuff. It was on my bucket list to write a book, and I thought, no, it's not going to be a novel. What is it going to be? It's going to be these essays about experiences, about creativity and resourcefulness. And, uh, yeah, write what you know. And um, and then it's like, well, w- what kind of topics and categories are there going to be? And so that was, yeah, that was several years before the, the that last year of hard work began. I remember that... On my birthday that year in 2017, I was doing a big coffee edit of the book and I spent most of the day like going through it page by page. (laughs) That's right. I mean, even made you do that on your birthday because we had a deadline and you were so helpful. Well, I accepted, right? And you're a very good editor. You definitely didn't make me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I felt bad. (laughs) Then that's half the book's life at this point, basically, because you had that four-ish years to create it, publish it in 2017. And then there's... The rest of its lifespan where, you know, it's funny because you put out the book, started writing the book and published it at the time when your day career professional life was really heating up and it was really demanding Mm -hmm. a lot of you. Mm -hmm. And so then there's this period where the book is out and you don't think about it as much as you had to for the previous four years. And then it wins an award like three years later. I think, yeah, I think it was a couple of years after it won the um, the National Excellence, Indie Excellence Awards for Best Gift Book. Yeah. I do remember that last year, really doing a lot of the, the heavy lifting on it and putting in a eight, ten or so hour day at my day job and then pulling about a six hour shift in the evening on the book. But... It's amazing when you're doing something that you love. It doesn't feel like torture or work or anything. It's so exhilarating and so satisfying. So at one in the morning, I'd have a nice relaxing hot shower before I go to bed. And I was just, it was blissful, that feeling of satisfaction of doing it. But but it also burned me out and I kind of crashed after that. 
That's so interesting that you describe it that way because I've actually had that experience as well where mm -hmm. and it's very clearly delineated because we lived in a particular home for this time and it was in 2018 for me mm -hmm. when uh we moved to this suite in east van and i started working full time and i also started early spirit with gabrielle mm -hmm. and so that was the only time i had like a full-time non-music day job that i was going to and then on the weekends and around that, we were working to start the van and we were just going all out on that. And I remember how that felt exhausting, but also felt super cool. Yeah. And I, I mean, this is the creative process. And really, it doesn't really matter if it's music or art or writing or or anything or, or creating a performance. It's um, this is the this is the process. And, you know, we do things to uh, to support our way of life. And then we do our artistic and creative pursuits and often we have to balance both of them and yeah it really doesn't matter which which medium you're working in yeah then front matter press what were the things that were scaring you the most about putting the book out and what did they really help you with the most a lot of my friends are mm -hmm. independent artists and stuff mm -hmm. like that and they have to learn to uh to do all these things from mm -hmm. scratch and they don't have like the traditional kind of professional environment that mm -hmm. provides all these other services. Right. So maybe when you're publishing your first book, you don't, you don't know what some of the things right. are. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So if you aren't lucky enough to have a publishing house, you know, taking you on, which is really rare these days and guiding you through everything or doing it for you and you have to do it yourself. It's just all the stuff you don't even know. So they help sort out how I got an ISBN number, you know, what I had to do, who I had to send this to, where I had to register this and, and, and then said, well, you should, you know, we should do this kind of edit for the, we should do a substantive edit to sort of get the gist of what the whole book feels like. And, and then, you know, then you'll need a copy edit. And then, you know, so they were really great in suggesting things. And I think, um, the goal was to come up with a really professional product. So to produce a book that could stand among other books that was really professional in quality and, you know, even down to the kind of paper that should be on the cover and how it, what kind of binding we used, they were really experienced about that. So that yeah. was just invaluable. Well, mission accomplished, right? I mean, your mm -hmm. book stood out in the back catalog of of theirs mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. got the interest of the distributor and so on. Right. So like clearly that happened. Yeah. And I think the lovely thing is I'm still proud of it. Yeah. You know, I, I look at it and say, wow, this is, this is a really good book. I, yeah. I still love it just as much. It's still just as fun for you to like show it to people now this it year is. or next year as it ever was right in the last four years. Yeah. 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 And that's what you get when you polish it to that extent. Right. Mm -hmm. when you spend that time doing the substantive and the presentation editing. Well, and then the, something that just popped into my head was right in the middle of all that was having to learn in design in order to create the manuscript. Oh my goodness. That was a real learning curve. And it's quite a program to work with for somebody who went to design school before cute computers were invented, uh, you know, and doesn't do AutoCAD or anything like that, or Revit now, to learn in design to do the manuscript uh, myself. And that was so satisfying as a as somebody who came from an advertising background and and has a design background. That was great. And then I also 
uh, enlisted the help of a book designer to help me with that visual look. She also produced a few templates, which really helped me out in terms of laying out the pages. But then I was good to go and cranked out the 200 and some odd page layouts, copy, photos, sizes. And that, I think that was one of the most satisfying things of all. And I I look forward to doing that again. That was really, that was really great. Yeah, that's, I mean, that was repeating. That was a big achievement. And the thing was you designed the layout of the book yourself, basically. And you got help when you needed it from this book designer, but like you did the grunt work in in design and like not every author will do that. (laughs) Yeah. So, so it really made it mine. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you did mention more about your day job there and how you went to design school, but it was pre-internet and it was pre-software tools that like interior designers use today, right? There's a picture of me at one of my first jobs when I got out of design school and I'm sitting at my desk and I have a drafting table and I have a phone that's got a cord on it. And that's all that's on my desk. There's no (laughs) computer. There's no nothing. That that was it. That would have been in 1989, I guess, when I got out of design school. Yeah. And you did have some early design gigs and jobs where you worked for some other people, but like the bulk of your day job career as an interior designer, you've been under your own roof. Like you've been running your own company. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's yeah. interesting to me because a lot of me and my friends were doing that too in mm-hmm. the arts. Right. And so you've had a lot of time to learn lessons about how to be self-employed for 30 years. And- yeah. 1992. I, I started yeah. my company and um, yeah, so it'll be 30 years um, in June yeah. coming up. I mean, it's a long period of time, but like what were some of those lessons learned that actually kept you going? Because it's a roller coaster ride, right? Yeah, it was a, it was always a roller coaster ride. And I think almost everybody at first is really um, nervous about what jobs are going to come their way. How are they going to survive? And um, I think as you as you move through the first five years, you get some clients, you realize that you can get work. And uh, I just had a lot of work coming my way, which was wonderful. And so soon enough, I just relaxed and and uh, our business wasn't cyclical or seasonal or anything. It just, it just waxed and waned whenever it wanted to. So uh, sooner or later, I felt comfortable knowing that by the end of the year, it would all kind of it would all kind of level out and I could I could earn enough money throughout the year. Sometimes it was quiet. I tried to learn to take that time off. And then sometimes it was busy and I had to work a lot. And I think that's kind of stayed the same the whole time. Um, but I just, yeah, soon enough, I just didn't worry about where was the next job coming from. I lived marketing. I talked to people uh, every day of, of work. I just tried to stay in connection with people. I joined associations. I wrote for my um, industry's newsletter. I went to the functions, just made it my business to know everybody and to and to stay connected, not in a way where I dedicated an hour or so a week to doing it, but I just lived and breathed it all the time. And um, yeah, 30 years later, kind of yeah, a lot of people know who I am, and it's, it's been good for work prospects and collaborations. And When it's low, you know, it's going to be that way, and don't worry about it too, too much, and try and use that time to relax, and then hit it when it's busy or what? Yes, yeah. but, but at the beginning like that, I think that would be a little hard for somebody to accept. And, you know, maybe you've got to put in a handful of years where you're pounding the pavement and just to lay that foundation so that that's that comes into 
play and and uh, becomes a reality. You got to see me when I was in like year two and three because I was a teenager and I was still living with you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you got to see me try and get out there and make mistakes doing that too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I've also loved having music in the house the whole time. Yeah, so yeah definitely had some of that. I'd have special. some rehearsals, I guess, but also sometimes we would have people play music if you had people over. Oh, it's great. In the backyard or inside, right? Yeah. Yeah. What else are your fond memories of like parenting a musician, which was me like 10 years ago when I was in high school kind of thing? Seeing you on stage, seeing you play your instruments the way you do and um, is always inspiring and and uh, just makes me so proud. I must say that the Envision Jazz Festivals, yeah. um, where uh, NWSS was just putting on such amazing performances, and it was pretty exciting to be in the audience for that. Yeah, and, that's now called the Surrey Schools Jazz Festival, and it's still going as the hub where the people meet each other. You know, The cool yeah. thing for us was that people would meet each other who were equally as enthused about playing jazz from all mm-hmm. the schools yes. in BC. And that happens even more now where it's a really big thing. I mean, I was lucky that I had tons of people at my school, but not everybody does. So the mm-hmm. thing about the Surrey Schools Jazz Festival is like, you can meet all the people who are like you at all the other schools and oh, you can yeah. make friends and start collaborating with them even while you're still in high school. And then you could like follow each other to university and stuff. So, and that's really yeah. happens now. As a parent, the fact that you had come from a very small school and here you were going to this big school, the, uh, the biggest high school in B- BC, BC I, at the time, I believe, yeah. but you found this smaller cohort in the music department that brought it down to a lovely scale again and you made friends in with that. And I mean, yeah. the teaching staff there is just so fantastic. Steve Clements and uh, Kelly Prosnick, amazing. You know, that was a safe, comfortable place for you to grow and flourish. And then um, and then seeing you go to the jazz festival and seeing seeing that hard work uh, combined with talent and all the fun and excitement of that validated with all those other uh, groups from the other schools that, and just seeing you all in your enjoying that. Uh, that's pretty amazing for a parent. Yeah. A few years after that, then we're going out to all these, all these different little restaurant bars, and now you're playing in the real world, and it's yeah. like that's my son who's up there playing. You yeah. know that that was pretty cool too. Yeah, totally. Then I just started try. I I started pounding the pavement like we were saying. Like in those first couple of years, I started going out to as many gigs as I could, yeah. and I started playing the ones that I could as well. You don't get too many chances to do it when you're that age but you yeah. know you you are kind of fearless you're you're asking around and you're trying to do things and basically no matter what every parent just wants their child to be happy totally so you know when you see somebody in their element enjoying what they're doing that's that's just the best yeah and you have a lot of things that are like that too like in the way that you enjoy all the arts and the way that you apply yourself to making this book happen and even something like being a visual artist right mm-hmm. yeah and you've actually done I'm a little bit out on my memory of it because I was just a little bit too young to have mm-hmm. really solid memories of this. But you had like multiple art shows in Vancouver where you presented some of your artwork, right? Yeah, I was really focusing on my artwork when you were young, participated in a number of group shows, and then had a chance to show all my work at uh, my friend John Bishop's restaurant. And then as well through my own show, I think a year or two after that, uh, in a friend's studio, 
in uh, False Creek area. So yeah, that was fun. And that was, um, uh, I think I, I wasn't working so much then and I was really focusing on creating artwork and then that was a wonderful time and uh, lots of fun and very satisfying. And you mm-hmm. sold some paintings. I did, yeah. <laughs> what kind of an outlet was that for you? You were around like 40 or early 40s and you started really doing that more than you ever had before. Like what did that mean mm. to you? What did it feel like when you started to do that more at that age? Well, it was so fascinating because you were... You Seven, were about eight. no. I'm I'm thinking when you were about oh, four or five. Oh yeah, we stayed home together and we played, and I let you have my pastel chalks, and we just played around in the garden, and we did art side by side, and I did not set out to be an artist. It came and tapped me on the shoulder, and it said, "Hey, you're an artist." And then I had a few pieces in a community show at Place des Arts and um, won an honorable mention. And, uh, you know, that was amazing. It's like, oh, my goodness. So I never thought to to do artwork that way or become an artist. It it just evolved organically and spoke to me and, and showed me that that was something that I could do and that I loved and that we enjoyed. And so that was a pretty lovely beginning. And then I thought, oh, okay, I'm going to do more of this. Yeah. I'm curious what you want to share about some of the ways that music got into your life, because this is a music show and you did have community music experiences where you got to sing and play folk and guitar music with your friends when you were younger. I did. I did. And music has been a huge part of my life. I sang in church. I started singing in church when I was 12 with my best friend leading the 8.30 a.m. mass on Sundays, a cappella. And then um, in high school, I was really involved in the musicals that we did. I got to be Joseph in Joseph in the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. (laughs) (laughs) So I had all these great solos. I still have the original libretto for for that. Uh, we did that in night. That would have been 1974 or wow. 75, you something like that. You pulled that libretto and you showed it to me yeah. when Royal City Musical Theater did their version That's of right. it. That's right. Yeah, I remember yeah. seeing yeah. that. That was really cool. So I asked for a guitar for Christmas when I was 13 years old and my family wasn't musical at all and I had to teach myself how to do it. And yeah. it started just really with really rudimentary basic chords and, um, and I got a book and I... I I was singing with another group of some older girls who played the guitar. So I got a little, I got a little uh, mentoring there too, I guess. But I taught myself how to play the guitar and then I sang with my girlfriends. And so interesting little aside, the Catholic church at the time was trying to become more modern and keep um, young people engaged. So they, in the late 1970s, they had folk masses. So young people could go to church on Saturday night to a folk mass and that would count for their Sunday and then they could go out and party on Sunday on Saturday yeah. night and they didn't have to get up and go to church on Sunday morning. So we did the Saturday night folk mass for a few years. It kept me it kept me going to church for a few years longer anyways. And so picked the tunes and sang the songs and so I played guitar and my girlfriend sang with me. So that um that was kind of the late seventies. And then we sang at weddings and stuff. And then we all kind of went on to our school and working lives and that sort of fell apart. Um, I sang for a while with the a women's vocal ensemble at Place des Arts when you were when you were young. Oh yeah. 
Yeah, I and um, more recently, I've I've had my own sort of vocal coach where I've just just for fun have been singing. But aside from singing, just music in general, I love I love music as much as I love books, and it's just such a huge part of my life. So. Um, yeah, I don't even know what life would be like without it. it. Gets me doing my gardening. It gets me cleaning the house. Yeah, I couldn't be without um, music. Yeah, uh, at all. There's a few different periods of music history that mm-hmm. I feel like you listen to more than others. Like there's the music of your youth, of course. Like especially yes. like the '70s. Oh yeah, for sure. '70s going into the '80s, and then there's also stuff from when I've been around from my own time for sure. And like, there's this continuum where you still listen to some music kind of every year. And so it's not like you were stuck in one era, you know, you kept listening to things, maybe not quite as much as when you were younger. I think most people would agree though, that their favorite sort of era of music is when they were kind of in their twenties, teens or twenties. Yeah. So for me, that was the seventies. Uh, but my sister was a few years older than me, and so I also listened to her stuff a few. But I mean, hey, Bob Dylan, Joni Mitchell, Joan Baez, Gordon Lightfoot, uh, you know, Steely Dan, you know, yeah. how can you how can you go wrong? Yeah. So I still love all that music. But there's there's interesting stuff that's come up along the way that I that I also enjoy. But yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I also think that you really have a thing for this kind of, like you say, you enjoy all the arts. You have this thing for like kind of a more literary songwriter, like even more contemporary examples, that would be people like Shane Coyzan or Nick Cave or or people who are kind of more oh, lyrical. Oh, poets. Yeah. yeah. Oh, for sure. Huge fan. And like a Gordon Lightfoot would be similar to that too, of course, for sure. Or Bob Dylan. Yeah. Yeah. Regarding the 60s stuff, like I had our neighbor in the West End of New West here, Jonathan Bayless. I had him on the show and Mm -hmm. he's a little bit older than you, but he was talking about how he got into music like a lot of people of his generation in the late 60s when Mm -hmm. those things came out and it was part of the church life too, if you were a young person Mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that that music was so central to the culture at that point. Yes. Yeah. Well, I think I told you one of my very first memories was dancing in at a sock hop. I was 12 years old in the basement of St. Pat's Parish uh, Rectory, uh, grade six, 12 years old, sock hop to Jackson Brown Doctor My Eyes. And oh, yeah. I can remember that like it was yesterday. I think that was the first time I felt grown up and I was actually, and, and really grooving and dancing to a song. Yeah. And like you were I, like 12? I was 12. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, 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 that was the very first time I think yeah, preteen life. Yeah, yeah. Totally. <laughs> and then you also have one where you saw Chilliwack, but that was in high school, right? Yes, yes, at uh, Maple Ridge uh, Secondary, and uh, Chilliwack came and played at our at one of our school dances, and they played California Girl, and it's like, oh my god, like these people are are famous or they're well known, and I mean, I just heard that song the other day, and I it took me back to that. I remember distinctly, you know, have this vision of the, of when they were playing California Girl. So. Yeah. Anything else? Those are the ones that stick out in my mind, stories that I've heard from you a few times. Uh, discovering Holly Cole. Oh, that's a cool I one. I saw her on TV. Uh, let's see, we were in the house in Queen's Park. So it would have been, you were only a few years old. I saw this young woman singing on TV and I thought, oh, my God, who is this? And I, I repeated her name a couple times so I could, I could find out more about her. 
And then I did. I think she had her first album out then. And I've been a big fan and followed her all along, seen her in person three, four, five times and have a lot of her albums. And But I remember just being mesmerized by by her. What about like Sarah Celine? Aren't you a fan of hers? <sighs> yes, absolutely. And and I did not know that much about her. And a friend of mine said, who was a fan, said, she's going to be playing at the Shadbolt Center, which is very close to us here. You want to come with me? And it's like, yeah, sure. And went to this beautiful little intimate concert and absolutely fell in love with, with her work and hope she comes out here again. I know she's not out here on the West Coast very much, but, um, and to see her, to see her live is spectacular. Yeah. Yeah. What about Jesse Cook? Right. Did we, we go went, see Jesse Cook together? We did. Yeah, at the Queenie? We went and saw him at the Queenie. It was a very big show. I don't remember I'd when that him. was. Yeah. That's okay. I've got a picture <laughs> of it somewhere. I can't quite. I also saw him at the Mount Baker Theater too. Just fabulous, fabulous. Yeah. 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 He's got a new album coming out in December 2021. Oh, all right. Yeah. So this episode is going to have come out and his album will have already dropped, but we haven't heard it yet. So we can't talk about it, but yeah, okay. we'll see. Yeah. We'll see what he's bringing to the table. Put that one on my Christmas list, Will. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's almost, oh, there's so many things like that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think now of other concerts that we've been to together. It's not a huge, long, long list, but there's there's got to be some. Yeah. 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 I mean for sure we went to the PE a couple of times when I was in high school. We saw, we saw Randy Bachman and BTO. Um, yes. Yeah. Uh at 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 the PE one summer. And um and I'm also thinking about when when um the Royal, was it the Royal City Theater or the high school that did West Side Story? Yeah. And I took you to that. I think you it was were Royal quite City Musical young. Theater. Yeah. And you thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And they did a fantastic job. Yeah. yeah. So that I felt that was almost like a little bit of an introduction to th- musical theater for you. For me? Oh, yeah. Because yeah. I didn't know. Yeah. And that's the thing is I didn't really pay attention to music at all too much before I became active as a player. Like it was really a situation yeah. where I started to learn by doing and like, yeah, I knew the kind of music that you would have listened to or that my dad would listen to. But I didn't like have my own taste going so much yet. I kind of had to get that going when I started to play and that's why I'm floating era-wise. Like, I'm not really attached. I don't have, like, a music of my youth as yeah. much as, yeah. as other people yeah. do. That's probably pretty typical of uh, other people my age, too, is that we're less grounded in the music of our time because the music of all times is more accessible to us all the time. Right? And I think there's so much more inventory. Yeah. Okay, I thought of another great one, and it was at the Massey Theatre, Burton Cummings. Oh, yeah. Just him and a piano yeah. on stage. It was just because all those songs from when I was young... And he played them so well and sounded so great. It was just, it was amazing. Yeah. I know. After we finish, I'll think of several more. <laughs> <laughs> well, this this has just flown by. It's pretty yeah. awesome. Lots to talk about. I don't think we'll ever run out of things to talk no. about. And it's so cool that we get to live a block away from each other here in New West. I definitely try not to take that for granted. So yeah, yeah. I always appreciate that. It's fun to come over here and do the podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess I'll close out with this. You've been throwing around with me a couple of ideas about what you might write next and it's like different ebook ideas that mm-hmm. you might do because there's topics that are percolating in your mind. Mm-hmm. And I've got a couple of them that I might mention if you don't. So don't feel like you have to hit them all. But which ebooks are you thinking you're going to write next? Well, one is just what's right, uh, you know, in my face every week. And that's 52 vegan Sunday suppers yeah, because, you, you know, we have this fabulous dinner together every Sunday. Yeah. And I try and make this wonderful 
uh, vegan dinner. And I do a sort of a flat lay photograph of it when I'm prepping it in the afternoon. And uh, I've been posting it on social media. And um, I just think I'm just going to collect those. And then after I have 52 weeks of them, I'll just, I'll do one about that because that's kind of fun. People have enjoyed that. Um, I also feel that there's a really simple book that could boil down sort of nice, healthy meal prep to something that's so simple. And I know we've talked about this a lot, something that you could do where you just have a fork, a knife, a spoon, a bowl, a, a frying pan and a pot. And that, you know, you don't need gadgets. You don't need uh, a lot of fancy tools and equipment that just just with those things and simple ingredients and a few steps. And I would think this might be a good book for, for young people going off to to um, college or people just starting out to make it simple. And I, and I think just coming back to um, what Front Matter Press said about my book, they said it was, you know, it was about being resourceful and accessible. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's what I'm really interested in. I love sharing all this stuff and I want to make it really accessible to people. And I want to explain it in a way that takes away the mystery in terms of design principles and stuff, but also in terms of cooking. And and the book in general talks about in any of these facets of a creative life, you know, to break it down into simple things that, that makes it less mysterious and and easier for people to, to try. Yeah. Isn't there another one about all the places you lived when you were growing up? Yeah, I've been I've been sort of collecting some notes about that. Yeah, about all the homes that I've lived in and what they felt like and how at first they were very barren and uh, simple. And my family, yeah, there was no sort of creative or artistic aspect of we lived very simply and and yet I still evolved into this very creative person. So I was starting to look at that. Yeah. And culminating with, well, right now, the place that I've lived in the longest of my whole life, this house, which is very special to me. So so we moved a lot. It was about those homes and their environment and their ambiance in relation to sort of developmental stages in life and stuff. So yeah, right. Forgot about that one. <laughs> I have not once ever had to worry about any lack of creativity in my family, immediate family, because you've always been there and I've only ever been trying to be as creative as you. For So thanks for inspiring everybody, including me. And thank you for being you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Rhythm Changes podcast. If you haven't followed the feed yet, make sure you do and think about your friends who might enjoy listening too. Tell them to search for the Rhythm Changes podcast wherever they get their podcasts. Link them to our website, rhythmchanges.ca, Facebook at Chernoff Music, or Instagram and Twitter at Rhythm Changes BC. The Rhythm Changes podcast is a Chernoff Music production.